Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 66. I'm Michael John Simpson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash something2xp. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And if you sign up for the free trial at audibletrial.com slash something2xp, it won't cost you anything extra, and they'll give us a little something in return. Help us out, won't you? This week's guest is Alyssa from the Hubian Feminist blog. Alyssa and I met at Gallifrey One Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles, during which she moderated a panel I attended on feminism and Doctor Who companions. Alyssa and I sat poolside and chatted about what else? Feminism and Doctor Who companions. Women's liberation, your majesty. Here's episode 66 of the Something Something Experience. How's your galley been? Uh, it's been fantastic so good, far, good, yeah. Good. cool. It's been I, uh, really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've been you doing, doing a lot of panels? Yeah, I had two panels, um, and I've been going around and sitting in on a lot of the other panels. Um, cool. But the panels that I had this year were really fun, really good group of people. Nice, nice. Yes. Yeah, I really particularly enjoyed the feminism panel. That really, I wish that one, one could have been two hours, because there's so much to cover about what Doctor Who does right and what Doctor Who's done wrong, and, and I mean, but that's everywhere in fandom as well, but right. I just, I'm just i a very firm believer in that the discussion just needs to keep happening, and the voices need to keep being heard, and the, 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 the breadth and depth of where those voices come from, and, and all the different experiences need to be represented. So, And there's just so much of Doctor Who to cover, you know, I felt like that we barely scratched the surface, you know, there's over 50 years of material to go into, oh, sure, sure. and with comics and Big Finish and the television show, there's just, it, there's just too much. Mm-hmm to go through sometimes mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt that uh, there was just a really great conversation in the audience and on the panel. And um, I was really happy that everyone was really open yeah. about coming into that Sure, yeah, yeah. It seemed everybody was, was really coming in with an open mind and even even though there were some disagreements about certain little things but that was much more of a more of a um, personal choice or personal personal flavor of whatever they considered their fandom or, or feminism or, or shipping versus not shipping that kind of stuff too so it was nice seeing all those different perspectives represented and hearing and hearing all that and, and you could definitely see gears turning and, and people thinking about things and I think that's the most important thing Right, and feminism means so many different things to so many different people, and uh, everyone comes in with a very unique perspective, and I think the point of the panel that I really wanted was to have a dialogue about um, feminism as it is represented in the show, and also what it means to fans, how do we view this television show with a feminist perspective and try to interpret it um, and what benefit do we get not only out of the representation of feminism um, but also what benefit do we get out of um, viewing the show in a new light and trying to make it something meaningful and important to us Uh, because so many people that I talk to there are moments in the show that force them to re-examine their own perspectives their own biases their own prejudices um, and particularly their own privilege Um, And I think it can be incredibly useful for that. Um, But it requires having an open mind. Um, And one of the things that, you know, I get a lot online uh, is get a fair amount of uh, harassment about, uh, you know, why are you bringing feminism into this show? Why can't you just sit back and enjoy it? And I've been really pleased so far with the community at Galley and how open everyone has been towards viewing um, 
the show in a feminist perspective and being willing to have those dialogues yeah. and those conversations yeah. um, because they're very important and you know I'm not I'm not bringing feminism into it the feminism's been in the show the feminism yeah. it's conversations been in the world and, been and in the world well, even in the in the classic series as you guys were talking about Joe Grant Liz Shaw there was feminist uh, seeds being planted all the time and and, yes. and as somebody on the on the panel said you know even with with Katie Manning wanting to leave the show because of those types of, of, of sick of being relegated to the the coffee girl role or the screamer role even her character got a, a feminist uh, a, a standing Shaw. St- or, oh, I'm sorry yes. I'm sorry yeah sorry it was it was Carolyn Shaw I'm sorry you're right yeah. um, Carolyn Shaw I got my characters mixed you up you were definitely thinking um, of the, that thinking of that yes. yeah that conversation but yeah she she left the show for her own personal reasons but the yes. character herself got written to make that choice as well of like it's it's kind of like the thing with Martha if I don't if I don't get out of out of the, the, the glow of you I'm never going to see what else is for, out there for me on the horizon to go and find my own path and choose my own life and, and have my own experience and Doctor Who has never been um, entirely consistent or entirely positive in its representations of feminism and I'm of two minds about that exit um, on the one hand I think that it sort of unfairly maligns Joe from the beginning of her run um, but I also think it's a fairly uh, interesting and brave choice to make um, Shaw's reasons for wanting to leave the role um, canon in the show as, you know, this is not just something that her actress was feeling, but possibly even her character could have been feeling. Um, It's a very meta-commentary within the show itself about how they treated um, the companions. Um, So, in a way, I do appreciate it for that, for acknowledging the fact that maybe we weren't making as great of use of this character Mm -hmm. as we should have been, Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe we should strive to do better with our next companion. Um, And they do. I think they they make clear their own biases towards the companions, and Joe is certainly not free of any uh, sexist treatment or condescending treatment during her tenure, Um, but I think that there are efforts made to be aware of that and to challenge that in the show, as as imperfect as they may be. Right, right. And then we got um, Sarah Jane, who was constantly speaking up for herself and constantly trying to struggle to the front of the line in, in the journalism world ahead of all the rest of the men as a as a as a viewer as a teenager a teenage boy watching watching the Kirby series um, and seeing to me it never occurred to me because obviously not being a woman not any of that uh, it, it didn't occur to me that the doctor was was treating her poorly uh, Joe poorly because she was a woman it was much more to me treating her poorly because she was a human but and I'm sure that that you know being from the, the place that I was coming from that was that way, but now that I look at it, at, it, at it again, it's like, well, yeah, of course, because that's just what you, that's what the assistant was, was, you know, somebody pretty who made coffee, and then that, because that was everywhere, all over the place in the 60s and 70s, and, and that's just the way things were, and but for me, of course, not having ever had been treated that way, wouldn't have seen that, wouldn't have noticed that, but constantly finding that, that my opinions and perspectives and, and, and privilege and all of those things continues to evolve and continues to be thrown askew and reevaluated on, on a constant basis. And, and as a person who, who wants to be seen as a feminist ally, I want to constantly be evolving and changing and, and listening and, and valuing 
validating experiences and, and trying to um, you know change my own perspectives. Yeah, well, I think there's a very interesting conversation to be had about the doctor as alien and the doctor as the writer stand-in mm-hmm. um, because I think that a lot of people, when they look at the show, tend to um, assume that the doctor's treatment of his companions is simply that of you know an alien being condescending towards an alien thousand-year-old genius, super beyond what even beyond what we would consider a genius. Right, but it is but it is definitely touched by the the own inherent biases and prejudices of the writing team. So you certainly have the doctor um, in the Pertwee years definitely treating everyone with a bit of patronizing condescension, mm-hmm. but it takes on a very particular flavor when it comes to the women. So, you know, the doctor is always condescending to the brigadier sure, and sure. not quite awarding him um, the respect that the brigadier definitely Mr. Benton, feels. Mike yes. Yates, I mean, all those, all, yeah, yeah. All the characters. But with uh, Joe, it takes a very particular flavor of, you know, assuming she's a vendor, assuming that she's just there to make the tea of particularly um, sexist patronizing yes. remarks. Yes. Um, and I think that sometimes a lot of our, uh, uh, the creative team's own biases and prejudices are sort of wrapped up in this, well, just the doctor is an alien. And, you know, of course, that this seems silly. Uh, one of the things that really sticks out to me is uh, the Shakespeare code. Mm. When Martha goes back um, uh, to Shakespearean London and Shakespeare is referring to her with a, just a series of very racist but contemporary remarks from the time period, Martha's clearly offended. Right. And rather than taking her side or even being a little bit sympathetic to her, the doctor says, is political correctness gone mad? And in one way, it's presented as, you know, it's just the doctor as alien having taken this woman back in time and she's correcting his language. Well, this is political correctness gone insane. I've taken you back to this time period and you want to correct his language. But he's also not being sympathetic to the real prejudice um, and racism that Martha is facing in that moment. Um, And I think it more reflects um, the creative team's biases and prejudices of, well, yes, this is just political correctness gone mad, rather, and trying to wrap it up as the doctor being an alien. Um, And there should have been a a fair amount more sympathy there towards, you know, you've just brought this woman into a very racist situation. Because if we're saying, if we're going to make the argument, if somebody's going to make the argument that the doctor is this advanced being who's thousands of years old and blah, 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 well, then clearly he should be more evolved on those lines as well. Right. You know? And and the doctor's Can't character... Have it both ways. Exactly. The doctor's character has been written very inconsistently as either um, a beacon of progress or as um, some of the... Uh, as, as a representation of some of the worst biases of the time. Um, so at times the doctor has been very progressive and very feminist, and at times the doctor's behavior and humor um, and comments have been incredibly progressive. See, and I've been thinking about this since, since the panel and, and thinking about the Tom Baker era and about how you had Sarah Jane and you had Leela and you had the two Romanas, all of whom were... At least, as I just barely dip into the pool of thinking about those characters in those episodes, seemed less so certainly than the Pertwee era, but I have to really back now, back go and look through this other lens of, of thinking, was this as, as, as less so that than I think it is? Right. Or am I just, you know, wishful thinking or whatever? But, but I think about Romana, uh, 
Dev 1 and 2 uh, just as smart as the doctor telling the doctor that he's wrong all the time um, but also kind of playing the, the thing of, of, of not playing the female role of just being I'm a, I'm a character who's just as smart as the doctor just as capable not a scream queen not getting into trouble not doing the wrong thing all the time I mean that does happen but and, and making some mistakes but not just doing that of, of being a, a more a more forthright character and I don't I mean I don't what, what's your opinion on the, on the Baker era and those those characters so you have me a little bit of a disadvantage because I'm um, slightly more behind on the Baker years okay, than okay. I would like I uh, did more of my deep dive first into Persuade sure. um, and just Baker's got so much yeah, that yeah. as much as I have uh, of him I still don't uh, have quite the full level um, Baker's years um, for me are fairly interesting um, most of what I've seen so far uh, has been Sarah Jane and um, I'm sort of with two minds because Sarah Jane as she progresses through her tenure is in, shown increasingly childlike um, and increasingly um, uh, less independent um, or at least it appears to me um, I know people are varying minds about this but you have uh, Sarah Jane during the Pertwee years very much a journalist always in suits always right. being right. you know to a certain extent right. a, a fairly professional individual working on her career you end her time in the Andy Pamby jumper um, and uh, constantly being possessed or hypnotized um, and manipulated um, and you know for me there are there are moments that she is certainly uh, a very assertive character um, fighting for herself and her whole departure scene is basically saying you know I have been uh, manipulated abused and deprived of my autonomy so many times and you're not you're not compassionate towards the struggles here that I'm facing so I need to leave and I need to fight for something better than myself um, and she stood up for herself in school reunion as well absolutely absolutely and I think that's uh, a very interesting uh, sort of re-commentary on the companion's departure um, and I think that it was really interesting to talk uh, to have a, compa- a previous companion yeah. to come and talk to a current companion that was about the first time we saw that conversation of what happens to a companion after they get left behind. Exactly. And whether it's it's fair for the doctor to just abandon his companions, as he often does. Um, and well, I mean, we know why. He doesn't want to watch them wither and die. He right. doesn't want to watch them grow old and die. And, and but it's maybe not necessarily fair to them. No, because it's really not. They can't, they can't help that. They can't help that they are going to age and die at a quicker fa- uh, pace than a Time Lord is going to. Um, and I think that Sarah Jane makes that uh, pretty very aptly of him of you just left me with no even idea of whether you and were And she was alive. very very plain about that. Exactly. Very plain. You hurt me. This hurt a lot. This hurt more than anything else in my entire life. Being with you was the most amazing thing in the world and I was suddenly removed from that and that, right. that sucked. Yeah. And I think that she uh, goes very deeply into, uh, very wonderfully into it's not just about being with you. It's about the adventures and about all these wonderful amazing things that you show us and then you leave me on a suburban street in a place that's not even my town you didn't leave me in the right spot Aberdeen. Aberdeen and you know having to adjust to that afterwards to uh, ha- have her own life and remake her professional career again and get through the day to day slog of you know work, rent, bills sleep and 
not have those amazing adventures. And also never finding a man who's ever going to stand up, you know, a, a companion, a partner, partner who's ever going to stand up to, to, um, and I only say finding a man because she was a, clearly a straight woman, but, um, but finding a partner, a life partner who's ever going to live up to the miraculous, you know, otherworldly, outstanding, you know, uh, thing that, 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 that being that lived, that's, that's traveling with the doctor provides. Right. You're not going to find that living a, a day, an everyday life on earth. Right. And I thought it was, you know, kind of sweet because there's, watching those episodes, there's fairly, fairly clearly, or at least I see it, a chemistry between um, Baker and Elizabeth Sladen, and they, they're not, they just, they, they don't allow any of that to become uh, canon on screen. But well, the, the, the new series, the they Baker, get to sort of The go Baker back. Doctor, as you, as you go through and as you get into Leela and as you get into um, uh, the Romanas, Baker's Doctor, I think, was purposely written asexually, that the character is just like, there's even a line, and I, I won't spoil anything, there's a wonderful, one of my favorite lines ever in the whole history of Doctor Who, is during City of Death, yes. when he tells Countess Scarleone, well, look, you're a very attractive woman, probably, probably. I mean, I don't, I, I can't really speak to that, but, you know, right. and, and so the Doctor's just complete alien disaffection, dis, disaffectation from, from, from sexual uh, uh, stimulation of any kind. Yeah, well, I... Or romantic as well. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I quite agree with that, because, you know, I, the City of Death episode is very important to me. Um, I'm, I'm demisexual. It's on the asexual spectrum, and that episode was very important for me to helping articulate that feeling of, like, you know someone is supposed to be attractive, but you don't quite understand it okay, or know cool. it. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily an alien... It's not an alien trait. And again, a, and, a perspective I hadn't thought of, so thank you for, yes. for again, further cracking open the brain and but, widening but, the, the field of vision. And, you know, Tom Baker, I think that it's very interesting that a lot of people uh, interpret that doctor as being asexual, and I think that they are uh, most explicit during that time period about, well, it's not just that we're avoiding any sort of implication that other things may be happening in the TARDIS because the BBC won't let us do it, but trying to specifically write the character as a lacking that attraction. What I more meant with my earlier conversation was sort of the romantic, emotional sure, attraction sure, sure, sure. that seemed to, that I, I saw between Baker um, and uh, Sarah James. Um, and, and I'm going back and forth between using their actual names and using their names in the that's show. Fine, fine. Um, but I, I think that it was a really uh, kind of interesting way to rewrite it in School Reunion about uh, making what had been subtext a little bit more uh, canon. But making it a bit Through the more, voice of Mickey, of, of the Mrs. and the X, and you know, him him kind of bringing that whole thing in, because obviously he had a sexual relationship with Rose uh, before she met the doctor, and and so, yeah, kind of like, yeah. you know... Well, Sarah Jane also makes it very clear of, you know, that the, she definitely, she had such an attachment, a, such a relationship with that doctor, mm-hmm. and to have it suddenly entirely removed with nothing, nothing afterwards, not even a postcard or anything like that, to indicate that he might be alive, and he certainly faces many dangerous situations, that um, he might at all have missed her or felt also that right. he had this very intense relationship um, with her. To have that that whole, it, it's you know, it's, it's having your best friend suddenly vanish yeah, on you yeah, yeah. out of the middle of nowhere. But also your best friend you're madly in love with. I mean, I mean, clearly Sarah Jane was madly in love with it. And specifically, I think madly in love with Baker's Doctor. I think with with with, Pertwee, with, the, with three, it was very 
very much a professional traveling, you know, traveling companion relationship. She was much more the journalist and much more the the the, the her own person thing. And traveling with with Pertwee's doctor, very you know, albeit briefly, was was that was much more of a platonic thing. And I think it was it was the Baker era where Sarah really started because you know you started off with Sarah and Harry, and then Harry leaves, and then it's just Sarah, and then you know. There's stuff with the brigadier and you know other people that they that, that they run into time and time again. But again, it's it's just the two of them. And, and at the end, clearly that final where he gets called back to Gallifrey, that final episode, he she clearly needs to go but doesn't want to go. And and then clearly when she's talking to to Rose, we find yeah she was there. There's just never been never been anyone else for. Her. Hi everyone, it's Michael. I just wanted to jump in here with a special offer for you, the listeners of the Something Something Experience podcast. Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I personally recommend The Smartest Book in the World by former guest and friend of the podcast, Greg Proops. It's a rollicking reference guide to the most essential areas of knowledge in Proops's universe, from the noteworthy names of the ancient world and baseball, to the movies you must see, and the albums you must hear. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash something2xp. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash something2xp for your free audiobook. If you sign up using that URL, they'll give us a little something in return, and you'll be supporting an independent podcast just like that. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. Well, what I particularly love about School Reunion is sort of seeing that partnership between the companions. And this is one thing that I, I just sort of always constantly long for seeing more of this um, in New Who. And we've gotten a fair amount of it, is seeing companions supporting other companions. I so agree that. you have Sarah Jane offering herself as a resource for Rose. Sure. Should, yeah, look um, me up. If, you, ever, if yes. you ever need, if you once look you're done, come look me up. And offering herself as a resource to help um, another companion adjust to being at you know a life on earth without the doctor without those adventures and also potentially losing your best friend or as especially as clear uh, with Rose and Ten losing the love of your life yes. because yes. they are they're going to be facing a fairly difficult choice because um, you know Ten is very reluctant to be in any sort of relationship with Rose knowing that he's out, going to outlive her by a fair amount yeah um, but you also see that with um, Donna and Martha um, and to a certain more problematic extent Martha and Mickey um, uh, in um, Ten's final episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love seeing the companions being there for each other, yeah. supporting each other. Yeah. Um, and I really love the episode from Sarah Jane Adventures oh, yeah. where you have um, Joe and Sarah Jane together and talking about their experiences with their doctors and their mm-hmm. travels and adventures yeah, yeah. and their struggles with, you know, what's life like after the doctor, after you have to leave. Yeah. Um, I think Russell Davis had, had kind of a unique insight into some of that that other writers, showrunners didn't necessarily. I, I found that, that Davis's writing was a lot more um, heartfelt, if that, for lack of a better word. That, that even though he's writing a very alien, like somewhat non-emotional character, he, he, the, the stuff we see the companions go through and the, the, the stuff we see the people that they run into on their adventures feels like it comes from a place of much more genuine human emotion and 
Because there's never been a thing like that until School Reunion and Russell Davis. I think it was either that or Chibnall. I don't remember which one of the two of them wrote that, but it, that's the first time we had that conversation. That's the first time we heard a companion say, you know, wow, I was in love with this person and they left and it sucks, you know. What I think, it, it, it's Davies and Russell, um, Davies and Moffat um, come at this sort of Doctor Who in very different ways. Davies, uh, what appears to me to be the overriding uh, interest in Doctor Who is what is it like for normal people when the Doctor comes into your life? What is it like on your relationships, on your family, on your friends? They have very, you know, he he wants to see the impact of uh, leaving your world behind to go travel with the Doctor. And Moffat is very much more interested in sort of the Doctor himself as, as a mythological feat. Uh, um, figure as a powerful uh, figure and he's much more interested in the relationship between the companion um, and the doctor and um, breaking those uh, those questions down and uh, Davies is a little bit more it seems to me interested in the impact on friends and family so um, it's it's two different very different types of stories but I did love in the the Davies era seeing that uh, examination of what are your personal relationships like when um, you are sort of willing to leave everything behind, vanish without um, any sort of, maybe without a goodbye or without any promise of coming back or when you might come back, yeah. um, and sort of how do, how do people adjust and reevaluate their relationships after that um, and what impact it has on that. Sure. Um, and I think that it, it, it opened the door for these wonderful uh, reaction uh, interactions between the companions of, you know, this is such a unique, terrifying, and in a way heartbreaking thing that we do, that we sort of up and leave people behind, um, and how do we cope with that, and how do we adjust coming back into the world after that? Yeah, yeah, the, the, it, the, it's very much, like you said, that the, was it the third or third episode of, of, uh, of, first series where they, he brings her back and he thinks the next day but it's a year later and she's been missing there's the missing posters and yes. Mickey and, and her mom are just and Jackie are just freaking out because she's been gone and who is this guy what are you doing why did you run off with him and blah blah right. blah I've been telling people you ran off to Europe with some guy and blah 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 and, and you know and yeah yeah I mean yeah it, that was the thing that impressed me that really drew me into the new series um, which I didn't start watching it right away because uh, when it went in 2005 I didn't didn't really start watching until 2006 and um uh yeah it's it's that thing of of wow this is a whole bunch of stuff we've never seen on dr who before and yeah. and being as as versed as i am was with the with the original series um certainly not as much as others but i watched all through the 70s and 80s and and so it just was covering a whole bunch of new territory. And at first it also kind of was like, it seemed odd to me and almost like somewhat antithetical to Doctor Who, but then I embraced it as more of this is just a new a new type of telling the same story and, and new new topics uh, and, and new ideas infused into an existing idea uh, and character and... and, and thing, really. I mean, right. uh, you know, uh, it's still the, it's still a madman in a blue box, and it always has been that. It's still... Yeah. Um, but uh, I, 
I hope you I hope you you will watch more of the the Baker years because I mean that's what I that was my bread and butter as a kid. I mean that's what got me into Doctor Who the very first time and and seeing that as a kid and then going back as a teen and then going back in my twenties and and going back each time and watching those episodes again. I get more out of them as I get older and older, particularly some of the some of the. Um, uh, Douglas Adams uh, curated stuff, you know, because he was script editing and writing and writing episodes under pseudonyms and that sort of thing. And I think that that the writing during those times did a really good job of making the Doctor an alien, making the Doctor a not romantic figure, and and but but also there's a there's a lack of compassion there, an alien lack of compassion and dispassion, if you will, of of him just being like, oh yeah, emotions, yeah, okay, whatever with that. And the only emotion he really feels is compassion for human, kind of human rights almost. And, you know, there was the, the whole, like, drug drugs episode, and there was, you know, uh, other episodes, but it was always that thing of of fighting the oppressor, and, and that they really got into, you know, Pertwee was all about defending the earth, and then... Four was all about going out and, and stopping, you know, Big Batty from from squishing the little guy. And in the, at the same time, the companions, you know, Leela was a badass and just always going around killing people and taking care of herself and never screamed and, and rarely needed the doctor other than needed him to figure out something that her character, because of the way she grew up, didn't have experience out in the universe to deal with certain types of technology or, or things like that. And, and I'm sure that there is a, is a, is a, you know, misogynistic layer to that as well. But, you know, I think Leela's character definitely was a departure from your typical female, you know, uh, uh, you know kind of weakened or, or, or disenfranchised female character. From what I've seen of uh, Leela's tenure, um, it, you know, I think that she is a, a very interesting character, um, and especially as a, a more violent female character, um, she is certainly fairly unique in that, you know, certainly the other companions, their strengths may not have always laid in um, whether or not they can pick up a sword um, or a hatchet or a bow and arrow um, and be able to physically defend themselves, but they, you know, their strengths relied on, you know, uh, with... Uh, Liz, you you know have her scientific expertise um, and her ability to sort of uh, figure her way out of a situation using that. With Joe, fully trained unit agent, she you know can pick any lock and escape uh, any handcuff or any prison that they ever put her in, and found herself in a position um, almost as often the doctor needed her to save him as oh, she uh, needed saving um, from the, by the doctor. Um, uh, Sarah Jane. Just her forthrightness, um, her compassion, um, and her determination to do what needed to be done to help others. Um, I think that the, the violent aspect of Leela is very interesting because female characters are often not given that permission to be as violent and as uh, unapologetically violent. Leela yeah. doesn't spend a lot of time um, freaking out um, or and ball questioning. And wearing dresses like what the, what the, the, the talons of Wang Chang. What the hell do you put me in? What the hell am I wearing? Exactly. Basically, you know, what is all this? Yeah. You know? So it's. it's it's fairly interesting to see that side of it, um, though uh, I do I, I, I do appreciate the other companions for not necessarily always being able to physically defend themselves, but using what they had, um, using their skills and talents to be able to defend themselves um, as they could. So Leela, for me, is is an interesting, unique departure in the representation.
representation of women um, and uh, for being allowed to uh, express traits that women aren't aren't often allowed to on the show. Though, for me, it's a little bit hindered by the fact that uh, she's so often um, shown these traits in a way that is... Uh, Nudge, nudge. At, it is, is, yeah, it's it is a little, thing, a little tongue know. in cheek. Yeah, well, it's, it's also, you know, you have this society where very easily they could be primitive, but, you know, not very suggestively uh, dressed constantly. And, you know, towns of Wang Chang is. There was, a lot of, of, there was a lot of talk in the press about suddenly suddenly dads were watching Doctor Who after the football right. match because they wanted to look at Leela. Exactly. And it's one of those things that she's not really allowed to be violent unless we can objectify her um, first. And the towns of Wang Chang is very interesting in that Leela um, is very uh, violent uh, in that episode, um, particularly in self-defense and in defense of uh, the other women that are being preyed on. Um, It usually ends up that Leela finds herself um, somehow disempowered and trapped in a situation that she needs the doctor to come and rescue her from. Usually she's being fairly obviously objectified. The scene in the sewers for me is very hard, not because of the giant rat, but because you have uh, Leela being made to run through in a white shift in a wet area, um, and suddenly after being able to defend herself and fight very aptly against the monsters that she's facing, finds herself trapped and in need of the doctor to rescue her, you know, while she's, I mean, there's not much left to the imagination at the end of that scene when she's coming out of those sewers. Like, that that to me is the major problem, that we cannot allow Leela to be violent in her own defense without objectifying her and making her an object for consumption. Yeah, basically a giant giant wet t-shirt, basically. Basically, Yeah. yeah. Trying to catch up on the Baker years uh, with it coming off of Netflix and Hulu, it's been made much harder. Well, this is the thing I also liked about Romana. Romana was always very dressed head to toe. I mean, you know, and then you have like later in the Davison years, you've got Nissa who starts off wearing very you know, velvet from head to toe and basically winds up wearing a t- lace teddy at the end, and it's just like. Mm. Yeah, that's that episode is fairly uncomfortable for me as well because yeah. of that. You know, yeah. she's a lot of time left. Uh, you know, and she's supposed to be this hyper-mathematical, and there are times when she does that, and she actually does those things that they right. say that she's supposed to be able to do, unlike Mel. Um, you know, but she's, you know, this this math, math genius, her and Adric always fighting about who's the who's smarter at mathematics and or right. what kind of math this one does and what kind of math that one does. Um, and then, you know, you've got Tegan, even though she's a flight attendant, which is a trope in and of itself, it's very antithetical to that and much more, and one kind of becomes much more... Um, you know, a fighter and a, and a and and very outspoken and very. But then they also kind of made her quote unquote bitchy too. And 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 you know that's what all the, the you know the nerd boys complain. Oh, shut her mouth, you know that kind of thing. So so yeah, I mean obviously all of them are just afraid they couldn't stand up to a Tegan in an actual conversation. I wouldn't want to get into an argument with Tegan. I wouldn't want to. I would like to take Tegan out for drinks. Is what I want to do. <laughs> Give that, uh, give that just the accent alone. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But yeah, you find a lot of those. Yeah, it, and it is interesting. I mean, and, and it, it's it's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've been thinking thinking a lot about all of these things that we've been talking about the past couple of days, and, and it, it's one of those things where when you're in one one 
box of perspective and you let you see things a, a, a certain a, a certain portion of them just kind of wash over you and you don't think about them right and then you start hearing these other perspectives and incorporating those perspectives into yours then you start looking at yeah. seeing things viewing things thinking about things in a different way and I think that's I find that enriching rather than annoying right and it'd be nice if more people were were less precious about their their experience in that fashion of, of I saw this thing one way one time I want it to stay that way right. instead of changing or growing based on you, how you've changed it. And to bring it back full circle, that's one of the reasons I was really excited to have this panel and to, yeah. be, able to be able to talk with the community at Galley about this again this year because everyone has such a unique and different perspective on these shows and what they mean um, to them, uh, both on a, a personal, emotional level of, you know, this is my doctor, this is my companion, this episode meant so much to me as a child, yeah. and then also on the sort of broader level of of, you know, may, you know, I can love this thing, but also question it and challenge it, and um, you know, I can love it without um, push it to be better, right? And I can also love it without being threatened if someone else wants to make a criticism of it. And um, yeah, I'm not precious about Doctor Who at all. I mean, I'm a very, very big fan of Doctor Who, but I know it's not for everybody. And I know there's things that a lot of people that drive, you know, drives a lot of people nuts about it, and a lot of people, you know, turn on the first episode, even a, even a, an extremely accessible episode like Blink, and just go, yeah, this isn't for me. And I'm like, okay. That's fine, or wow, this is dumb, or wow, this is whatever, and I'm like, great, okay, fine, yeah. you know. And I, th I think that the people that I've at least come into contact with the galley so far have been very good about, you know, this may be something that maybe is precious to me, but I'm, I'm willing to have this conversation yeah. with you, and I'm willing yeah. to um, at least listen to the criticism and try to understand it, even if I may not agree with it, sure. and, and be willing to come to that dialogue, sure. which I just love about this convention. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's something I hear about galley over and over again is, is it's it's very different from other conventions because obviously a lot of people that come here uh, and a lot of people who are guests here and a lot of people who are patrons and a lot of people who are panelists do go to a lot of other conventions and especially in the last year where we've heard you know oh we got we got eight white guys who are going to talk about women in comic books and not you know right. there's no women on the panel and her and it's like you come to galley you have a panel about feminism and, and companions it's four women and one man yep. and that to me was just like well two men because the moderator um uh but but it, you know and then and then there was a, earlier in the day there was a plan uh, there was a um a panel all about uh about people of color in representation in doctor who and how that's what they get right and what they don't and and how it's gotten better and how season season nine has been pretty good about representation like a lot of other other media and other fandom uh representation has been something especially in 2015 that has come much more to the surface you know you've got yeah. your mad max you've got your star wars you've got series nine of doctor who you've got your jessica jones and 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 um whereas not necessarily along the people of color perspective or per perspective or spectrum rather or the um lgbtq pers uh, uh, since eight, uh, had a had a fair amount yeah. of that as well. Yes. Plus, people of color, and that was one of the ones that really stood out in my mind. Yes. But this has just been a good year for that, and I think, and especially with marriage equality, I think a lot of things are heading in the right direction. And and hey, let's leave it to the nerds to to stand up and go, hey, you know, there's right. other people than just white dudes, and let's 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 have media and culture and everything around that because the world is made up of more than just white dudes. Let's let's have it in our media. And we just as well. need to keep pushing the boundaries. Exactly, you know, I agree. As, I agree. As, 
as I want to celebrate the successes of this year so much, I know it's so it falls oh, so the, far short yeah, of where yeah, we yeah. needed oh, to go. Yeah, of course, and of it's course. just it's just a constant fight that we need to keep having. The struggle is real. Mm-hmm. The struggle is real. So tell us about your podcast. Uh, blog, actually. Blog, blog. blog. Yeah. So um, I blog on Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. Um, so I started this uh, about three years ago, um, and I just blog about feminism and Doctor Who. I, I just, you know started with uh, episode reviews, um, and I go back and do uh, bring out particular themes that I want to talk about cool, and talk cool. about certain companions. Um, and uh, yeah, now um, people once they support me on Patreon also request that I do reviews of old episodes. So I am continuously going back through Classic Who um, and uh, watching and reviewing and coming in a couple decades late. Yeah, for that's okay. Better late than never. Exactly. Where are you based out of? Um, based out of the East Coast area okay, in the cool. Washington D.C. area. Cool. So uh, home and family is here in Los Angeles. All right. So it's uh, it's a homecoming to be back here at Galley. Nice. That's yeah. nice. That's nice. Cool. Um, well, I'll put I definitely put up uh, uh, you know links about your blog. Is there anything that um, that's out uh, now that you we usually have people make recommendations of media of anything you're reading, watching, listening to, anything like that? That's that you think maybe people should check out. Um, the 100 is the show that I'm currently incredibly invested in. Um, it's on the CW. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a great dystopian sci-fi post-nuclear apocalypse mm-hmm. uh, show. And don't be put off by the fact that it's a lot of young teenagers because it's probably going to be one of the more emotionally, um, psychologically complex shows that you encounter on TV right now. Okay. Um, so that's that's really what uh, what's, what I've got going for me at the moment. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for your time. It's been wonderful talking with you. And, uh, yeah, let's keep fighting the fight and pushing the boundaries. And uh, I hope you had a really good galley. Thank you very much. It was fantastic talking with you as well. All right. Thanks. Great. Please be kind. You've just listened to the Something Something Experience podcast with your hosts, Michael John Simpson and Kitty Brown. Something 2XP was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. Please visit our website at something2xp.net. You can find us online everywhere as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and Google+. Please help support our podcast and get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash something2xp. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.